I'm Deborah Grace, author of the book Crucifying the Bible, available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Ad Podcast. Look at me, Some time back, Cameron from Capturing Christianity put out a brief one-minute video asking three simple questions for atheists. So I've got three questions that I want to ask atheists. First question is, do you believe that God does not exist? If you answered yes to that, then you're ready for the next question. The next question is, do you believe in evidentialism? Evidentialism is the view that your beliefs ought to be proportioned to the evidence. You shouldn't just believe something without evidence. He answered yes to both of those. The third question is, what is your evidence that justifies your belief that God does not exist? So, here are my responses. Question one. First question is, do you believe that God does not exist? So, you kind of either have that belief or you don't. You either believe that God does not exist or you don't. Yes, I believe that God does not exist in much the same way that I believe no deities whatsoever exist. I believe Santa Claus doesn't exist. I believe the Easter Bunny doesn't exist. So, in that same vein, I believe that God does not exist. Further to that, I don't see why me saying I believe God does not exist is so controversial. If you answered yes to that, then you're ready for the next question. The next question is, do you believe in evidentialism? Evidentialism is the view that your beliefs ought to be proportioned to the evidence. You shouldn't just believe something without evidence. Those are the first two questions. Yes, though I will add a caveat. Your beliefs ought to be apportioned to the evidence in line with the consequence you allow that belief to have in your life. For example, if I believe the Prime Minister of the African nation of Togo has a red letterbox in front of her house, the question is, what weight does that belief have in my life? None. But would I need solid, irrefutable, robust evidence to support that belief? No. I could walk up to you and say, I'm pretty sure that the Prime Minister of Togo has a red letterbox in front of her house. I saw it in a photo once. And you would go, really? And I'd go, I really sincerely believe it. I saw a photo somewhere. And you then reply, What will you do if you find out that the Togo Prime Minister's letterbox is blue instead? I'd go, nothing. It doesn't matter to me. And if I find out 
that the Togo Prime Minister's letterbox is blue instead of red, there are plenty of perfectly acceptable explanations for why my belief doesn't match the reality. Maybe the photo was from when a previous Prime Minister who liked red letterboxes was in power. Maybe I was looking at a photo of the Cameroonian Prime Minister's letterbox instead, not the letterbox of the Prime Minister of Togo. Maybe the Prime Minister of Togo just decided to change the colour of her letterbox one day without telling me. What's up with that? And all of this is okay, as long as I don't make any decisions about my life based on that belief. But if I said, the red letterbox of Togo's Prime Minister wants me to pay a tenth of my income to it, refrain from working on a particular day of the week, and abstain from certain sexual relations, by the way, you and I can't be friends anymore because it would upset the red letterbox. Then you would want me to justify my belief, and to a greater standard than, I saw a photo of the red letterbox. So, yes, I would call myself an evidentialist, though I'd rather call myself a feasibilian. Question three, the big one. You answered yes to both of those. If you have the belief that God does not exist, and you also believe in evidentialism, you're ready for the third question. The third question is, what is your evidence that justifies your belief that God does not exist? What is the evidence that justifies my belief that God doesn't exist? This is what I would call a malformed question, because trying to prove something doesn't exist is a lot harder than proving something does. But if I wanted to make a case for saying something doesn't exist, the way I would do it is by showing that a given purported piece of evidence for the existence of something can be better explained by a non-existent hypothesis or an existent neutral hypothesis and that the explanatory power of the thing that supposedly exists is not better than that provided by alternative hypotheses that don't factor in the existence, if you get what I mean. So the first witness I will call to the stand is the lack of a positive and concrete definition for deities. At no stage has anyone provided a definition of what a deity is that we can independently verify? This, for me, is a deal breaker, and it should be for you too. At best, someone will define the deity described in the Bible as a spaceless, timeless, incorporeal being. But I don't know what a spaceless, timeless, incorporeal being is, and we have no way, other than opinion, of determining if and how a spaceless, timeless, incorporeal being has in any way affected material reality. So right off the bat, we are discussing something that hasn't been observed 
in reality. For all we know about God, we can discuss Gargamel's favourite recipes for Smurfs with just as much evidential validity. Second, every deity, especially ones that enact judgment for personal and national transgressions, every deity documented has been documented in association with religious belief and culture, which would make belief in a deity a cultural thing rather than a scientific thing. It wasn't until the last 50 or 100 years or so that people have gone, I believe in God because that's where the scientific evidence leads. Furthermore, no one has gone to a lab and said, what's that mysterious glow? That right there is a God. The other thing to consider is this. If 100 different science labs came up with 100 different and ultimately contradictory results for the thing they're working on, and those labs said, our results are the only true results, all the other results are wrong, we would laugh at all of those science labs and tell them to get their act together. But when 100 different churches come up with their own novel theology and they declare that only they truly worship the one true God, we pay that respect and let them run their own schools and give them tax breaks. And third, deities or the supernatural are only invoked as an explanation when we don't understand something or we have a gap in our knowledge. This is because people sometimes invoke the intangible to make sense of what they don't understand about the tangible. To give you some examples, millennia ago, we attributed thunder, lightning, volcanoes, earthquakes, disease, mental health issues, epilepsy, and numerous other things to the malice or malfeasance of deities or their enemies. But then when we investigated those things, we found that those things weren't caused by deities. Further to that, we didn't know of the vastness of space that was above our heads. We couldn't comprehend the idea of light and heat emanating from a nuclear reaction 150 million kilometres away. But then, we sent satellites and telescopes into the space above our heads, and guess what we didn't see? Deities. So, right off the bat, even before we start trying to explain anything, deities as an explanatory mechanism has a lower prior probability than naturalistic or deity-neutral explanations. And before you go, Big Bang! Or Origin of Life! Or something else, remember what I said before. People will invoke the intangible to make sense of what we don't understand about the tangible. Or in other words, God of the Gaps. 
for example, let's discuss the early stages of the universe. What we know from a deity-neutral perspective is that the universe was, at one point in time, in a state in which space and energy were highly compressed to the point that time dilated. But then, over time, the energy formed into mass, you know, E equals mc squared. Particles formed, expanded out, the four fundamental forces formed, electromagnetic radiation formed, elements formed. And we see evidence of all this in numerous ways. But what can we say for sure using a deity-based hypothesis? Well, first, since you haven't positively defined what a deity is or what a deity is capable of, you've essentially got nothing. And then, whatever answer you give will essentially rely on the non-theistic hypothesis for the explanatory power, but add an extra layer of philosophy in the form of something like, God made a personal decision to create the universe. This is, honestly, wholly unsatisfactory. Or if we get into young earth creationism, we then either get rehashes of the steady state theory or ad hoc rationalizations such as that the starlight from the distant galaxies was created in situ, making it look like it was from a distant galaxy. Or that the speed of light travelled faster than the speed of light. Or that God slowed down time up until the point that man was created. Or that sin is causing our telescopes to see things incorrectly. These are neither satisfactory, nor are they intellectually honest. So we can straight off the bat discount the young earth creationist view, which leaves us with the Big Bang hypothesis. So then if we apply Occam's razor to two competing hypotheses that are essentially the same, we then have to side with the deity neutral hypothesis because it is more parsimonious and doesn't carry religious baggage. Or let's also compare the biodiversity of life. The best deity-neutral explanation is that populations of self-replicating organisms slowly began to diverge in function and structure by methods of genetic replication and variation. This has been detected in the fossil record, confirmed by phylogenetics, and observed in the real world in numerous instances. But the most common theistic answer, typically some form of creationist baraminology, relies on the notion of kinds that not only hasn't been observed, hasn't been confirmed, but is also so poorly defined that it doesn't even define what it's trying to explain and doesn't have as much explanatory power as the theory of evolution by common descent. Or you take the deity-neutral explanation that has been discovered by observation and research and again tack on the philosophical stance of something like God just can't stop creating. He's so creative. Look at all the creating God has done. 
which again is wholly unsatisfactory. So when we apply Occam's razor, the deity neutral explanation wins out again. So when we take into account the fact that we don't know what a deity is, let alone that there is a specific one and that its name is Yahweh, the fact that deities are brought in either when we don't understand something or when we do and we want a philosophical narrative to help us make sense of our place in the universe, and the fact that the deity-neutral explanations make more sense and don't wade into moral territory, all of this adds up to make the case that either God doesn't exist, or even if he did, God is unknowable and doesn't explain anything, so he may as well not exist.